This is Peggy Schuster, mother of Tron and young Neil, and this episode of The Trap Draw is brought to you by Mizzen and Maine. I've been buying Mizzen and Maine dress shirts for my sons for years because they are very handsome, wrinkle-free, and solved Neil's pit stain problem at a young age. But more on that later. Visit MizzenandMaine.com for more information on their dress and casual shirts. And now, here is The Trap Draw. What's up, everybody? Big Randy here. Uh, before I introduce today's podcast guest, I just want to mention that we have a discount code still going over at Mizzen and Main. So be sure to check it out, MizzenandMain.com, and the discount code is TRAPDRAW, all one word, all capitalized, TRAPDRAW at MizzenandMain.com. My conversation today is with the author, Josh Karp. He, Josh lives in Chicago, um, grew up in Chicago, graduated with a journalism degree from Northwestern, big White Sox fan, as as he'll uh, mention in our interview. Uh, I think Josh is a really interesting guy. He has written a wide range of of stuff. Not you know he's strayed very far from the golf world. Um, actually, one of his his first book is actually a movie right now on on Netflix. It's called A Futile and Stupid Gesture: How Doug Kenny and National Lampoon Changed Comedy Forever. That was his first book. His second one is Straight Down the Middle, which is the conversation, uh, or excuse me, is the book that our conversation is about today. And then he also has another book called Orson Welles' Last Movie, The Making of the Other Side of the Wind. And I believe that is being turned into a movie which is going to be released uh, fairly soon. So I mean, Josh brings a really interesting perspective. You know, he's not one of those golf-only, die-hard journalist, um, but having said that, he also has, you know, he played collegiately, he played growing up, he, he, he certainly has a good understanding and, and feel for the game. So I really enjoyed the conversation, I hope you will too, and without further ado, here it is. First question, the premise of your book is a quest, and as you write, it's one towards two goals, better golf and a better life via the non-traditional Eastern route. I was wondering, can you provide a bit of context for those listening who may not yet have read the book as to uh, your golf game and your life when you were writing the book? This was back in 2007. Right. Well, okay. So um, so back then, God, I was 41 years old, which, yikes. Um, and, uh, and I think we were somewhere on the precipice of having our fourth kid. And so number one, my golf game. Uh, I played high school golf. I played you know, division three, really low level college golf. I had kind of perennially been, you know, like a 12 to 15 handicap. Um, Never, never got better than that. Anytime I was playing better than that, had the total freeze up, like freak out, um, you know, experience. 
Um, and, uh, you know, if, if, I, if I was, if I shot a, you know, 39 on the front, I was sure to shoot a 52 on the back. And, uh, and then, you know, I was also, you know, it had, you know, certain neuroses and anxieties that had been, you know, an issue for me, um, as, as time had gone on. And what happened was, you know, first I, I had read Golf in the Kingdom and I had read, uh, Bagger Vance, both of which are, I think they're like the two best selling golf books ever, um, and Zen Golf. And all three of them, I mean, I thought, you know, like, God, here's this sport that's like, you know, Pat Summerall and Plaid Pants and Jack Nicholas and the, you know, this kind of country clubby conservative, uh, sport. And here, like the three best selling golf books are based in Eastern mysticism. And I thought, you know, that's just such an interesting phenomena. And so I, I, and that was going, so that was one of the inspirations. The other one was, I used to do a lot of magazine writing. And, uh, my wife had, uh, had gotten me to go to like a weekend, uh, uh, meditation thing in Chicago. And it was, you know, it was interesting. And I'd done some meditation before. And when we took this little break in the middle of this thing, you know, we went around the room and everybody had to say what meditation had done in their lives. And everybody was, you know, like the kind of person you'd meet at a meditation retreat. And, you know, and there I am in like my Chicago White Sox hat, you know, just dying to get out of there and go have a good meal and see a movie. And, uh, and the guy asked me and I said, you know, oh, you know, it, it's, you know, it's really improved my golf game. And everybody kind of gives me this horrifying look, you know, of like, oh my God, how could you bring, you know, how could you bring golf into this? And uh, the guy who was running it said, he goes, oh, you know, the Sock Young, who I did not know who that was at the time. Um, is, is an avid golfer. And the Sock Young was the, turns out, was this guy who is like the head of, uh, Shambhala, which is this American Buddhist organization. I think it's international, but it's based here. And he is like, you know, exactly like Bill Murray describing the Dalai Lama and Caddyshack. You know, he's got the flowing robes, the whole deal. So I thought, you know, that would be a great magazine story as I go play golf with the Sock Young. Um, the Sock Young eluded me. So. As I was pursuing that, I, you know, just started researching all this stuff. And I thought, oh, my God, this is there's such a good story in this. Um, so that is my very long answer to your your much better question. Well, and I was curious, kind of at the at the initial outset, um, when you decided, you know, you, you had a book here and presumably got clearance. What was more pressing to you, in your opinion? Was it lowering your golf handicap or finding balance and kind of that ease in, in your life? You know, looking back at myself at that time, I, I, I can't say, because there were times where my golf game was really important to me. <laughs> and more important than my life, you know, at various moments, because, you know, I, I would have those, you know, cataclysmic experiences where all of a sudden I'm worried that, like, a three-putt is going to impact my life. And, and I, I, I still have a lot of three-putts, so I, I know... Um, you know, I, I don't have that reaction anymore, but, you know, I was really familiar with that where it was like, oh my God, you know, like I'm going to take a seven on this hole. Everything is crumbling, not just my golf game, but, but everything. And, uh, and then, you know, as far as my life, yeah, I mean, you know, I was, you know, you know, a very busy, very chaotic life and, you know, kind of just somebody who generally, you know, outwardly seems to have no anxieties and inwardly, you know, kind of riddled with them. And that was also very important to me. So they were, they were equal. It kind of, you know, depended on the day. Sure, sure. I, I'm curious about the title to your book, Straight Down the Middle. Sure. You know, there, um, there, there are two reasons 
I, I came to that title. First of all, any title I've ever come up with for a book, that what I first come up with, my publisher is always like, no, no way. <laughs> yeah. So that was not my first choice. Okay. Uh, number one. Uh, but, you know, it was, um, I kind of had this theory going into the book that didn't really get fleshed out as much that um, the kind of the ultimate Zen golf master in American history is, is like Ben Crosby. Cause he's like the most easygoing, you know, like the image of him is, you know, like this just totally relaxed guy, you know, just like loves to play golf. And I was like, okay. And, and he has a song called straight down the middle about golf. It's like kind of a ridiculous, you know, uh, song. But anyway, so that was half of it. And then the other half is, you know, there's this thing in Buddhism called the middle path um, or the third path, you know, which is not in the extremes. It's just kind of being, right in in the middle of your experience um, and, and not judging things as being good or bad, just letting things be as they are. So it was kind of, you know, between those two. And, and, and that was, you know, like I, like I was saying, you know, the, 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 one of the tensions of the book, I guess, that I tried to build in was, you know, here is, here's all this mystical, you know, non-traditional, un, not un-American, but non-American stuff that's being injected into the most, you know, this great game, but also that's, you know, kind of, you know, perceived as this bland vanilla sport. Well, that, that makes a lot more sense now. Um, (laughs) It's that balance. And and that's certainly um, one of the main themes throughout the book. Um, You know, your quest takes you out and around the country. Um, That first part of your book's broken into eight chapters, and I, I won't ask you to kind of talk about all the people you met. Um, you, your travels, you met people like Steve Yellen, Jim Waldron, Printer Bowler, uh, Jamie Zimron, Les Boland. I, my question is, are you still in touch with any of these people today? And what method did you find the most illuminating? And do you still incorporate anything you learned uh, on that quest almost a decade ago in your golf game and your life today? For sure. Yeah. Um, you know, I stayed in touch with some of them, you know, uh, some of them I, I stayed in touch with and I've fallen out of touch with them. Um, uh, Printer Bowler passed away. Um, he was just one of the loveliest, most interesting uh, guys. Uh, he was just he was just this fascinating fascinating person and he was uh you know it was was very interesting i mean you know one of the one of the nice things about the book was you know a lot of these people um you know and printer being one of them you know they they people really kind of embrace what you're doing in in a way that you know if you really think about it if a stranger was just like hey i want to come play golf with you um you know and i'm coming to montana and you're going to be in a book and well that's just how it's going and, you know, and, and so Printer was just, like, really, uh, really just a lovely, intelligent man. And I, I just remember him, you know, it, it, this is kind of neither here nor there, but I just remember, like, we had been together maybe a day, and he had fought in Vietnam, and he started telling me some story about Vietnam, and just, you know, tears running down his face, and I just kind of was like, wow. You know, I was like, he's so kind of, you know, he's like this guy, you know, he's like this, like, very, like, he's looks like a high school football coach, you know, he's got, like, a buzz cut. And he's, you know, wearing like the, you know, high school football coach windbreaker. And, you know, and here he was, you know, just kind of so committed to kind of being in tune with what he was doing and feeling. So so he was great. And he was very funny. Um, Jamie Zimron and I, that's the person I've really stayed uh, fairly close to. Um, 
and we've stayed in touch. And Jamie's just great. Jamie's like a little bit, you know, feels like a sister. Um, and when she comes to Chicago or, or Milwaukee, where she's from, you know, we, we try to meet up and play golf. Um, and, and she's great. And I learned a lot from everybody. I mean, if I, if I think about, you know, you know, one of the things that one of the most important things I learned was, you know, when you learn something, practice it on the, on the practice tee. Don't ever do it on, on, you know, on the fairways. Um, so I, I learned to try to do things while I practiced and kind of gradually incorporate them into my game um, instead of kind of hoping to, you know, get like a quick, quick fix, right? Be like, oh, wait, that fixed it. Um, and I got, I did all these really ridiculous things, some of which wound up being incredibly helpful. And I think, you know, one of the most helpful things was uh, when I was doing Les Boland's uh, clinic out in Massachusetts was not holding the, cl- the club tight, like hold and, and holding it so loosely in a way, almost we, we practiced holding it where you felt like it was going to fly out of your hands. And, and the loosening of my grip, it's such a counterintuitive thing, right? I mean, you know, even though we kind of know that it doesn't help to, you know, grip your club, like you're trying to kill somebody, but yeah. yet, you know, there's this kind of tendency to, you know, even, even if you're not gripping it, like, you know, that tight to really, you know, really hold on to it. And, you know, you get more, you know, you get more, you have more control. And the more I gave up control in holding the club that way and just letting go of how I, the way I held the club, um, the, the longer I hit, the straighter I hit, um, that, that was, I mean, if, if there was a single thing that was really it. Well, and I think just listening to you say that it's, it just strikes me as such a metaphor for life too. <laughs> I don't know if you sure, meant right? to, yeah, if you meant it that way, but it's like, yeah, the, the, the less we kind of really hold on tight and, and try to control things, um, you know, the, the more comfort and usually the better things work out. Yeah. And, and I, 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 I won't go on endlessly, but like, I'll, I'll just say like what <laughs> less also in, in service of that, you know, this was at, uh, at this kind of like, Buddhist retreat out in uh, Western Massachusetts. And he had us doing stuff that was, you know, I think both supposed to be mental stuff and, you know, loosen up physically. And so he was like, you know, he'd be like, okay, now you're all going to like, you know, give the the person standing next to you a massage. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and there I am like giving a massage to a complete stranger. And he's like, okay, walk on their hands. And I was just like, I was standing there. I'm like, I cannot believe in a million years that I'm massaging, you know, a strange man standing next to me and that I'm walking on his hands and he's like, okay, walk on their butts, you know? And I was like, oh, good Lord, you know, but you give up that inhibition. I mean, you know, I, I, in, in both in golf and in, you know, a lot of things in my life, you know, in ways in which I was inhibited, he made you so un- do such uncomfortable things in service of being comfortable that it really, you know, I mean, I think that was really helpful too, because you just, you just lose this inhibition that you feel both, you know, on the golf course and in life. Cause you're like, okay, I did that. Yeah. You know, not so bad. One of the things I was going to ask you in the time since this book's been out, you know, what's your golf game been like? And, and have you, have you noticed that, that improvement still? You know, what I've noticed is, I mean, I, I, I don't get to play as much as I would like. You know, I, cause I, I, and I will say, you know, like one of the nice things about that book was 
you know, I mean, I, that was kind of my job for you know, a little while. And I, I really got the opportunity to play a lot, a lot. You know, I was kind of playing like once a week before that. And I got to, you know, play a couple times a week and go hit balls, you know, every day. And that was just a blast. Um, and then since then, you know, my, my kids have gotten older. I have, you know, a couple teenagers now. And so I don't play as much, but, but I still play, you know, reasonably frequently. And, and one of the things, the thing that I've really noticed um, has been how much it's, you know, first of all, you know, my, my swing is, is still that, you know, I mean, I, it really did improve my swing dramatically. And, and I was able to integrate the things Les taught me and the things other people taught me. Everybody, you know, there were one or two things from each person. But the thing that I noticed, you know, I, I was just on vacation like two weeks ago. Um, and I went and played golf with my kids and I had not played in probably a month. And, uh, and I played, I played the front nine as a fairly tough course and, and I wasn't even keeping score and, and, you know, first just to be like, okay, I'm just doing this to have fun, which I do a lot more. Like I've actually played golf to have fun, which did not occur to me before yeah. I, worked, <laughs> I worked on the book. Um, it was somebody said, was it they, you don't people don't play golf, they work golf. Yeah. And I used to work golf big time. And so now, I mean, you know, I, I, I can go out and not care how I play. And I can care about how a shot feels. You know, I, I, I can be like, oh, wow, that was a really good shot, even if it doesn't have the d- desired exact result. You know, if I had a great six iron that rolls off the back of the green... You know, I don't sit there and go like, that was a great shot and I should have used a different club. And blah, blah. So what happened was on the back, I, I started keeping score because I was like, okay, I kind of feel like I'm playing now. And uh, and I and I kept score. I played much better. I mean, and, and while keeping score, I realized how unattached I was to the score while I was keeping it. You know, it wasn't, yeah, I was curious <laughs> more than you know, obsessed. Um, and then, and, and it was kind of fun, you know, and, and it really, you know, I realized how much I play shot by shot and how much it really just, you know, did I, did I enjoy swinging the club? I know that sounds kind of ridiculous, but I, but I think that's really the biggest thing is every shot. It's kind of, you know, like, did that feel good? Did I like swinging the club? Cause if I mean, so many of us play and, and we really are not enjoying it. We're, we're just we're just out there beating ourselves up right yeah that's <laughs> i i think one thing i'm keen to try um to play a few rounds just without keeping score like like you do and just to try to go about i don't know if certainly can't change that mindset overnight but um try to become more detached from the results if you will and and be more I, I think it's more of a process oriented way to uh to, to golf for sure yeah I, I mean i i i found that to be it's funny i mean it's it's very freeing um and 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 it's the total counterintuitive right you know like it's just the less you keep score suddenly when you don't care about what you're doing so much or don't care about the result the result takes care of itself yeah well, th- this kind of leads into uh, the next question I wanted to ask, and your Steve Yellen chapter, where you talk about there's 180 seconds worth of real action uh, during a four-hour round of golf, 
And the rest of the time, you know, we don't really pay attention to it. And as you say, it, it affects our performance. And I guess what I'm asking is, you know, how, how important of an insight was that for you? Yeah, you know, it's, I think that that is, you know, that's a, that was a really important uh, insight, you know, because you really, I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I think a lot of people feel this way. You know, when you're playing, you're just so in your head, even when you're talking to other people, you know, you just shut out so much um, of what's going on. Even if you're having a good time, you're with your buddy and you're drinking a beer and you're walking down the fairway or doing the cart, whatever. But like, there's always that kind of inner narrative and you know, really taking in, uh, and it sounds silly to say this, but you know, really even just momentarily stopping you know, yourself, not stopping physically and being like, oh my God, that's beautiful. But just really kind of stopping your inner monologue and your inner thoughts about your golf game and just, you know, being like, oh, wow, you know, that's, that's beautiful over there. That's a nice tree. Oh, I, you know, th you think about, you know, you're out in nature, right? And how often do you go a whole round and never notice that you heard birds? Yeah. It, well, and that's where, you know, it, it truly doesn't matter whether I shoot 86, 81, you know, 77. It, right. it, it doesn't matter at Shooting all. Shooting 77. Shooting 77. Well, and that's true. That would matter <laughs> a lot for me too. I, it, you know, the days I break 80 are, are great days. But right. um, yeah, to, to your point, it's just, I, I think what's, and really what I enjoy most about golf, if I'm being honest, is kind of that connection with, as corny as it sounds maybe, you know, that connection to nature, that you know, when you are with other people, that experience you have. So I, yeah, I, I, I really like that insight, I, I guess in a, in a really long winded oh, way. I, 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 I think that was something that's really going to stick with me. No, I mean, I, I mean, how many, I mean, I ruined before I worked on the book, I can't tell you how many days of mine were just ruined by how I played golf, which, which just seems so insane to me now. You know, but I mean, I've, there, I've, there were times I just remember driving home from the course, you know, after shooting, you know, a 92 or something. And it's like my whole self is tied up in, yeah. in what I just did on the golf course. And, and I'm like, you know, and, and you, it's so hard to gain the perspective of this doesn't change who I am. And nobody cares. Like, no, you're the only one who cares. And why do you, you know, I mean, I, I just, I, I for me, there was always just this, you know, leaving and being like, oh, my God, I'm not any good at this. Oh, my God. You know, like, I, you know, oh, my, my friends, you know, must. You know, it, it's like being on the tee and, you know, and, and you know, duffing your, your first drive with, with two groups standing behind you. And you think, oh, my God, you know, like, what must they think? Right. You know, that it, it's so embarrassing. And like, who in the world has not done that? Right. Yeah. You think you're the only person who's ever done it. You feel like you're the only person who's ever had these negative, horrible experiences, um, unless you pay attention to other people and listen to them screaming at themselves. But yeah, I mean, so and, and really just, you know, kind of just stopping that. And it's not easy, but but yeah, just being like, you know, I had a nice day and I shot a 92. OK, or I shot an 88 or I shot an 81, you know, and sure, it's, it is great when you break 80. <laughs> like that, but but yeah, I mean, just not having it be this working uh, obsessive 
overwhelming mental experience, which, you know, I think other people have, hopefully, or hopefully. Not. I don't know. Well, I was going to say for sure. I mean, it, it's really a manifestation of some of that anxiety, which, you know, I, I battle, you, you write about in your book, you know, you, you obviously deal with, and I'm sure so many people deal with, um, but I, I think, you know, it obviously just manifests, manifests itself uh, in that way on the golf course a little bit. Hi again, this is Tron and Neil's mom, Peggy, here to talk to you about Mizzen in Maine. It's always been hard to buy dress shirts for my youngest son, Neil. I'm not sure if it was his nerves or what, but since middle school, he struggled with epic pit stains. When I discovered Mizzen and Maine's shirts, it was a game changer. Their moisture-wicking technology kept Neil looking comfortable and fresh in his dress shirts, even as he sweat through summers in Atlanta. Actually, I've been telling these guys for years to reach out to Mizzen and Maine about part, a partnership with NLU, but none of these jokers wanted to take me seriously. And then Phil Mickelson starts wearing a Mizzen and Maine shirt on the golf course, and suddenly it's the best idea ever. Anyway take my word for it. I'm a mom. If you're looking for the most comfortable shirts with excellent sweat and pit stain protection, visit mizzenandmain.com today. And now back to the trap draw. Um, I, I have to ask you about Jim Waldron. I, I thought he was, uh, he was, he was like the most fascinating character uh, from your book, at least to me. And just to give folks a quick refresher, maybe he runs the Balance Point Golf School out on the West Coast. He's, as you say, he's knowledgeable on all kinds of stuff. Just, just a real smart, maybe a genius of a guy. Um, I, you know what? What really struck me, and and I've been thinking a lot about, is you know, as he talks about people and their golf swings and the whole culture of golf instruction, he labels the culture kind of mentally ill, and he compares fifteen handicappers on the driving range to rats in a maze. And likens, uh, you know, he likens taking a few lessons and expecting some magical transformation of your game. He calls it bizarro world shit. And <laughs> I, I just got to ask you about Jim. And was he kind of as awesome in person as he comes across in your book? I love Jim. I mean, he was so much fun. And he was, again, he was somebody, you know, one of the things you kind of forget when you're working on something like this is like you meet really great, really interesting people. And Jim was just fascinating. I mean, here was a guy who had been a really good, if I remember this correctly, he'd been a really, really good junior golfer. And then just had like a kind of on course tantrum at which point he was like, I'm done with this. Crap. Yeah. You right? say, yeah, he was playing a junior tournament. I think he shot 68 in the first round. You're right. And then he shot like 80 or 82 in the second round and like quit the game for 15 years. <laughs> right, which I just love. Yeah, I mean that, is, which is such a perfect background. And he, and he was he was fantastic. I mean, first of all, I, he gave me so much crap, which I really enjoyed. You know, I mean, he really kind of you know you know in a in a nice friendly way. You know, he just gave, gave me a hard time while I was while I was working on this. And the rats in the maze thing was great because he he talked to it was a concept called random reinforcement. Like you were saying, Jim knows a lot about everything, especially mental stuff. Um, you know, and he, he was, I, I remember he knew neuro-linguistic programming. He knew, uh, you know, every kind of mental 
you know, wit, change your brain type of uh, type of thing. He he knew it and and had applied it, you know, to, to golf and how we approach golf. Yeah, I, I remember Jim had me, um, you know, he was talking to me about, you know, like you said, this game being mentally ill, and he said random reinforcement is this concept where, you know, if you if you put cheese at the end of a maze every time, the rat knows to go to the end of the maze, right? If you put if you put cheese there once and then never put it again, they eventually quit doing it. But if you just kind of randomly put the cheese there every once in a while, they go every day and they like I as I remember he said you know, they essentially when it's not there they start like scratching their faces off. You know they just completely <laughs> lose their minds. Yeah, because, and it's like gambling. You know he said it's like you know you start when you're gambling, you start to think, you know if you, you fail. 80 times and then you have one big success and you're like, I got it. You know, it's like this like random positive. So, you know, that whole thing when people say, you know, well, you know, I hit that one great shot that brings me back. Right. Well, I mean, hitting that one great shot that brings you back. If, if that's, you know, of your, you know, 98 strokes, you had that one great shot. That's great that you're still playing, but you know, it, I think that I kind of that concept is, you know, it's not, it, it's, it's really, how should I put, you know, you believe that that's you, that great shot is you, that could be you all the time. And that if you just got the right driver, or if you, you know, just took a couple of lessons, um, you know, that you would really, really be able to be that golfer, you know, inside, you know, we all kind of have that suspicion that we could be just, you know, scratch, you know, we're just, you know, God, look at these great shots I hit. What if I did that all the time? Well, there's nobody does that all the time. But but yeah, the idea is you know that we we you know kind of think like okay, I did that. Well, hell, I can do that every time. And then you don't do that every time. But then you do it once, and you're convinced again that that's you. So it's it's the same thing. Just yeah, no rhyme or reason. The randomness, and and we drive ourselves crazy, kind of trying to. Um you know, make sense of it. That I, I just love that chapter. He, he sounded like a fascinating guy. He, he was. I mean, my, my recollection was, you know, of him kind of having a little bit of the, the vibe of like Donald Sutherland and MASH. You know, he's kind of, you know, just that really cool, easygoing, but, you know, kind of sly, smart, funny, funny guy. And he was just, he was, he was great. And he, I remember he had me hitting balls standing on one foot hitting balls with holding the club with one hand, you know, one hand, just swinging one arm. And, and one thing you know, I will say about Jim, and I think like this, this was a huge insight, honestly, that, that I've still uh, kept with me is um, he said, I think he called it the arm swing illusion. And he said, you know, people think they swing with their arms. And he's like, and your arms don't swing the club, they're swung like by your body and the idea of just kind of like, cause you know, again, it's like that holding the club tight. You have all this tension in your arms, right. And you're like swinging, like your head, that's when you, when you hack at it. But when you just let your arms be free and loose and they swing with your body, they kind of tend to put themselves in naturally the right position. Um, and you hit the ball a lot better. I mean, it was another letting go experience, but that was, Huge. I mean, when I'm not hitting the ball well, I will sometimes stop and think like, okay, what's going on? This doesn't feel good. 
And I'll realize, you know, I'm, I'm swinging with my arms. And when I stop doing that, I just start hitting the ball a million times better. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think that's the whole concept of, you know, one thing I try to keep in mind is hit the ball with your big muscles, not your small muscles. And, and I think it gets mm-hmm. to that same idea where, you know, the, the arms aren't really the important part of the swing. It's, it's more your chest and trunk and legs, um, that, that sort of thing. Yeah, and I think experiencing, you know, one of the things was experiencing the feel of what that is. Do you know what I mean? Like, like as a, I, that that was a huge thing. Is it both, you know, with Les and with him and with all the people I worked with, was really experiencing the feel of the club, and that, I mean, so so and, and the feel of what it is to swing rather than, you know, just just swinging like you know maniac. Yeah, yeah. I I, I wanted to point out. One of the lines that from your chapter with uh, with the golf sensei Jamie, uh, I, I think comes closest to almost bottom lining um, why I love the game of golf. It's just a little three sentence, uh, short little line, but but I just think it captures the essence of why I love golf uh, so well. And you write, or yeah, I believe it's you write. Uh, True victory is self victory. There is no enemy out there. The only enemy is the mind of discord within. And I, I, I just want to tie this to, in prepping this uh, this discussion, I've watched you on the interview show. Um, oh, good guy. Back, yep. Yeah, it, it was some time ago. But but I thought you had a, an awesome line that, that kind of ties to the same thing. And what you said was, um, you said, once you're able to play golf well enough, what's your problem is you. It's not your technical issues. It's that you are totally in your own way. And, you know, I, I think that touches to some of the discussion we've had. But I, I just, I think that captures kind of my fascination and love for the game of golf because it's just this battle at the end of the day, almost between me and my mind. And um, I, I, I just love the way you phrase that. Well, thank, thank you. I mean, I, I, you know, I mean, that, that's, that's, first of all, that's, I'm, I'm flattered and that's really nice of you that's i i i'm like kind of like wow that way that wasn't bad <laughs> a decent line there um you know i i remember uh when, when i took a lesson with with joe parent who wrote uh zen golf and uh and i i just remember i i we were playing and i hit some crappy shot and he goes i think there was a little too much josh in there <laughs> which i always, I always love that you know, because because that that is true. It's like you know this this your ego, and you know you are what's in the way. Because honestly, I mean, my golf swing improved. I mean, I, I always you know had I think a fairly decent golf swing, but it really improved dramatically while I was doing this. That said, what allowed it to improve was changing my mindset, and all the changes I made and technical changes I made were really reflections of the change in my mindset. They were letting go kind of experiences and trusting what would happen if I, you know, just kind of like let go. So, so that was, I mean, that was a huge thing, but I mean, yeah, I mean, I, you know, the things I do on a golf course that are not, um, that, that frustrate the hell out of me are things that are, that I'm doing to myself. They are not, you know, you know, there's nobody, I mean, that, that's like, right. That's the thing about golf is because, you know, like I play hockey now and, um, 
like I, I played as a kid and I just started playing again. And, you know, you're playing against somebody. The puck is moving, right? <laughs> there are people in your way. There's a goalie trying to stop you from putting the puck in the net. There are all these moving parts. Literally, if you think about golf in respect to that, it's like the one sport where the ball is not moving, right? It's just sitting there. So it's you kind of like, it's like, it's just you. And the, the fact is that, and it's you that's in your way. So <laughs> as you stare at that ball, you know, the more you are like investing in what happens to that ball, you know, the, the more you're in your way. So I, you know, just, you know, what somebody told me, I can't remember who it was. It might've been Steve Yellen. It might've been uh, uh, Jim Waldron, but about, you know, Tiger, it must've been Steve Yellen about Tiger afterwards being asked about, you know, one shot he hit or another. And he's like, you know, I just remember pulling the club out of the bag. And the next thing I knew the ball was on the green, you know, and talking about, I think Roger Federer, you know, describing being in the point um, while he was playing. And it's, you know, that, that kind of concept of, you know, when you're in the zone, right. You're not, you are not thinking at all. We all, we all think that thinking is going to help and it's not. <laughs> for the most part, you know, I mean, you can put minimal thought into like where you want it to go, you know, and you can put, you know, some thought into, you know, how the green is going to break, but really, you know, the, the getting the thinking out of the way, you know, the more you think about what you're doing, the, the, the more miserable you're going to be, the worse you're going to play. Yeah. It, it reminds, and I know you're a big baseball fan. Uh, I'll never forget. And I, I don't have it in front of me, but just while you were talking, it, it reminded me again, um, I, and I forget who it was, but they were describing Lenny Dykstra, the the old Phillies uh, center fielder, and it, it's it's not really a nice way to describe him. It's certainly a backhanded compliment. But they were essentially saying, you know, the the reason why he's such a good baseball player is essentially because he's 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 kind of you know I I don't know if they said the word dumb or stupid or but essentially it was like he he just doesn't think about anything and. And it's essentially, to your point, it was like he just has this free mind where he's not worried about, you know, if he's in a slump or his swing mechanics or anything like that. And I, I think there's a lot of that. Uh, not not that it's necessarily an intelligence thing, but just being able to free your mind and, and not think about things is so important, not only to golf, but, but you know, a, a lot of sports and, for that matter, probably a lot of <laughs> life activities. A lot of life, yeah, right? yeah, exactly. I, I remember a, a friend of mine who's a big Yankees fan was describing the difference between Jeter and A-Rod. And I don't think he really meant this about their level of intelligence, but it's kind of the same thing. He said he's like, you know, he's like, A-Rod is a little bit smarter than the average person. He's like, and Jeter seems to be a little, you know, a little beneath being like smarter than, you know, as smart as the average person. And as a result, nothing affects Jeter. You know, Jeter just goes out and he does it. And he's not worried about the media. He's not worried about what anybody thinks about him. You know, he just plays. And he is just playing when he's out there. And A-Rod, you know, was, was thinking. You know, A-Rod let things get to him. And nothing got to Jeter. Um, well, and you look, you know, one of the, you know, I, I've, two of my four kids are, are athletes. And one played, one's a hockey goalie. And the other, and the other one is a baseball player. And, you know, it's, it's funny because, I mean, they could give a crap about any of my insights <laughs> and any of this, you know, I mean, about anything, honestly. Well, they're that's, teens. That's the great yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the humbling experience of being a parent and being a parent to teens. But, uh, but I remember when my, my 13 year old was a little bit younger and, and he was having, you know, trouble 
you know, he, he wasn't hitting. He was like in a slump or something. And I was like, oh, let's watch videos of Ted Williams swinging the bat, right? And he's like, oh, good Lord. You know, this is like a hundred years ago. You know, he knows who Ted Williams is, but he just, you know, he's like, why? And I just remember watching, if you ever like watch pictures of him taking batting practice and you just see how freely he does everything and how it's just, you know, and he was very scientific and all that. But when he swings a bat, it's just like this beautiful, free thing. You know, he's not worrying about what's going to happen. And he just is, he's swinging. You can just kind of see this like love of the experience of hitting a ball and swinging a bat. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, switching gears a little bit uh and yeah I'm, before i let you go i wanted to let people know um and in my research i i hadn't put two and two together but right now on netflix uh there's a movie a futile and stupid gesture which chronicles the early days of national lampoon uh, and its creators and that's actually based on a on a book that you wrote and and i wasn't sure if i i forget now if it was before straight down the middle or, or just after straight down the middle my my joke was, you know, I I, I think that would be, you know, a, a good title to uh, to a golf book too. You know, that's often <laughs> how I think about my golf swing is a, f- a futile and stupid right. gesture. Uh, but but no, my my question is, if you had any plans, uh, if there's anything on the horizon uh, where you're going to venture back into the world of golf, you know, um, I wish. You know, I mean, it's funny. You know, talking about that book. I mean, I always think of that book you know when people you know like yankee stadium is the house that ruth built that was like that was like that book built my ability to 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 get paid to play golf um you know i mean i always always think of it very fondly because i'm like you know that was able to get me you know a book deal where i was like okay i have this really cool idea about golf and a publisher was like okay go do it um you know that would not have been an easy first book um but I, uh, yeah, so, so I, I don't have any golf writing, you know, uh, things coming up. Um, I, it's funny. I used to write, uh, for a couple of golf magazines and, and it, the funny thing about that was, and, and this is such a like really high class problem, but it always kind of made me laugh when I was doing it is, you know, you have this dream of, oh, wow, somebody's going to pay me to go play at a, at a, at a great golf course and write about it. Like, Wow. This is amazing. There's nothing harder than writing about a golf course because after you've written about three of them and and they are all different, but unless they have an incredible backstory, you know, it's really, you know, you're like, Oh my God, how green is something? How, how undulating or flat are the fairways? You know, how, you know, how, how fast are the greens or not fast are the greens? And you know, you, you find yourself just so struggling. And I just remember that was, you know, kind of in the, the careful what you wish for uh, world. I mean, I, I you know, I, I thought about if there was a golf biography that had not been written, um, that would be really, you know, I mean, I, I, people have written books about Sam Snead. I would love someday to write a book about somebody like him because he was somebody who, you know, I, I had this great admiration for it because he was somebody who really loved to swing the club and you could just see, he was like the Ted Williams of golf, right? He had this just beautiful, natural, free swing. So, I mean, I would love to write a book like that. I just, I, you know, when you, when you write books, you just kind of always have to find something unique about a story um, and some moment that was important that nobody's really 
gotten into. So I would be very, I would love to write another golf book. Um, but right now, nothing. Sadly. Okay. All right. Well, I, for, for what it's worth, I, I, I hope you do write another golf book as well. <laughs> oh, thank you. That's so thank you. <laughs> uh, and, and my last question, and, and I ask everybody this, it's, it's probably my favorite question. I, I'm just curious what you are reading now, and it can be golf, it can be non-golf. I, I, I love to hear what people are reading and, and what you think are some good books, uh, maybe for others. Yeah, sure. You know, um, I, I'm reading a couple different things. One, uh, I've been reading Nick Nolte's uh, memoir, um, which is a really great book. Um, I heard him talk about it on uh, Mark Maron's podcast. And I think, and I think, you know, he spent like, I think he went through like five writers to really get it right. And it's, I, I've always been interested in him. And, and that that's a fun book. And, and that's, you know, so it's kind of, you know, it's not the deepest, most complicated book in the world. But um, it's uh, it, it's it's a good book. I started reading this book called The Art of Fielding, which I can't remember who it's yeah, by. Yeah, uh, Chad Harbaugh, I want to say. Okay. I only yeah, know because that, I've that... I, I've read that one, <laughs> and oh, I you... loved it. Yeah. Yeah, I really, I, and it's I mean, it's funny that I happen to be reading that because I mean, in a way, that has a little bit of you know the sensibility of you know being in the moment when you're playing. You know, uh, and and I, I really have enjoyed reading about you know this guy who was just this great shortstop, um, you know, and, and just kind of his the, every time he describes his experience of playing, I, I love that. So that that's a really good book. And then, yeah, I, I, unfortunately, most of my reading is usually work related, which I mean is, is nice too. Um, but like you know, it kind of so I've been reading um, books by an author named John Marquand who was kind of the most popular novelist, like literally the most popular literary novelist of like the late thirties, the forties and the early fifties. And he's totally forgotten. I mean, he sold more books than Faulkner and Hemingway and Fitzgerald and all those guys. Um, and he wrote these books about uh, East kind of East coast wasp culture. And they were kind of, they satirized it. Um, but they also, you know, showed a lot of kind of understanding of what it is. And I've been trying to figure out how to do a project about him because I think he's kind of a fascinating guy who wrote about his own life and then had his like literary creations come back and attack him on a couple of occasions. Um, so, so th- I've been reading, he wrote a book called Wickford point that I've been reading and a book called the late George Apley. Um, so I've been kind of just reading biographies of him books by him. Very cool. Um, I, I am guilty. I'm one of those who have not heard of him. So I, I would be in that camp. You are not alone. I, I, Nobody has heard of him. And if my dad hadn't given me uh, the late George Apley to read when I went away to boarding school in Boston, I would have I would have never heard of him in a million years. Huh. That's that's interesting. Well, you've given me something to to look into this afternoon. Um, oh, good. Yeah, read read the late George. Apley. Okay. That that's a it, it starts a little slow, but it is fantastic, and it's a great kind of, you know, exploration about, you know, again, about how every, we're all, you know, you think like, oh God, these people who are born into all this money, you know, and born into all this prestige and, you know, you know, culture and all this and, you know, in someplace like Boston, you know, but like a typical Brahmin person. And it's kind of about how those people are as trapped as anybody else, um, you know, and how we're all shaped by our surroundings and kind of, you know, that it's about, you know, can you escape some of that? Um, you know, so it's kind of about, you know, the trap of, of wealth and, you know, and, and having a cushy 
a, a life that other people would look at and say like, wow, what would that person have to complain about? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that sounds really interesting. I, uh, that's, that's a, that's a great recommendation. Thank you. Oh, good. Thanks.